0: Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church.
1: Hi, uh, my name is Cindy. For anybody who doesn't know me, I serve with the kids. Uh, So after this, I'm going to go serve with the kids. But I'm here to read today's reading, which is from Luke 24, one 2 12. So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Luke 24. I don't have the Bible in front, so I won't tell you what page it is, but just find Luke. It's in the New Testament. 9.07. Oh, sorry, 9.08. Um, so it says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in cloth that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In th- in their frighting, the women bowed down with their face to the ground. But the men, but the men said to them, "Why would?" Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee: the Son of Man must be delivered over the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be on the, on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered these words, his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all the all these things. To the eleven and all of and all the others, it was Mary Magdalene, Joanne, Mary, mother of James, and the others with them, who who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. They did not believe the women because their words seemed to be like nonsense. But uh, Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw this. Tri- the stripped of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. He is risen.
0: He is risen indeed. Thank you, Cindy. And it is so good to be here with you all this morning. Uh, This last week, I was thinking about what life looked like a year ago, and many of the same challenges are certainly still present, but we are also present Together, many of us, and I know many are still online. Um, Last year, we were exclusively online, and there was this just an interesting feel for me first time ever in my life not be able to gather with my church family uh, on Easter. So I'm so glad to be here this morning with you all. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. And we know that oftentimes on Easter, we have uh, guests and visitors. So we're so glad that you chose of all the places you could be, especially during a pandemic, that you chose to spend some time with us this morning. Uh, the, the days surrounding Easter in my family are actually pretty busy uh, and involve a lot of celebration. Uh, We have three uh, children that all have birthdays within a few weeks of when Easter typically falls. And so it is there is a lot of things uh, going on in my house. My youngest son just turned nine last week. My daughter uh, turned 11 a few weeks ago. And my number two son, Owen, will turn 12 next week. And so in the midst of all that, we're celebrating also Easter. And in my house, birthdays are a very, very big deal. They're part of that celebration. You know, in the Christian faith, the two biggest events on our calendar are today, Christmas and Easter. And these events celebrate when Jesus was born and when Jesus overcame death. And both of these events, Christmas and Easter, have kind of two prominent themes. Uh, the theme of hope and the theme of Promise. Christmas hope fulfilled as God enters into humanity to set things right, to reconcile man to himself. And then Easter for us, as as Jesus carries out his mission to take all of the brokenness, all of the sin that that, that has so many of us in bondage and to break its power through his death and resurrection. So both of these themes have... These uh, both of these events have these themes. In First Peter chapter one verse three, it says, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." And we sang about that this morning. Look at that verse one more time. We can't talk about Easter without also talking about death. Because there's no Easter story, and really there is no Christian faith without Jesus' death and resurrection. In recent weeks as a church family, we've been looking at one of the key themes that Jesus taught in His ministry between Christmas and Easter. And this theme was the kingdom of heaven. Jesus started His ministry saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven has come near. And this one statement would sum up the entirety of Jesus' public ministry. And it was this theme, the theme of the kingdom of God, that ultimately led to his death. Now, we've talked about this before in our church, but for those of you, maybe this is your first time with us, when you hear the word repent... It may conjure up some things that make you feel bad, that make you feel guilty, that make you think of the the angry street preacher with the sign. But repent literally means to have a change of mind about your life, about your place in the world, about your very existence. And so when Jesus says to repent, he's calling us to see things differently. Why would he do that? Because His kingdom was breaking into our kingdom. That that heaven and earth, so to speak, were colliding. That our spiritual blindness was being healed so that we could clearly see who God really is and who we are in light of that. So repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near, is the theme of Jesus' ministry. And after speaking these words over the, the next few years, Jesus gave signs, signs of his authority to be able to say these things. Now, if one of you were to come into my house uh, later today, and you were to, to start to instruct my children to do certain things, like not hit their brother or to clean up after themselves, my kids will look at you and go, what? Who are you? You're not my dad. You have no authority to say these things. And so when Jesus comes and he says, repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near, everybody else thought the same thing. Well, who is this guy that could say these things? Why would we listen to him? There's lots of religions. There's lots of religious leaders. There's lots of people that could say that same thing. Why Jesus? And so Jesus spoke these words, but then he demonstrated his authority to speak these words. And he gave signs as he taught. Signs of the kingdom of God. Signs of heaven coming near to earth. And so often when you read the Bible, you think of those things, right? Like even if you maybe didn't grow up in the church, you know that Jesus healed people. You know that he cast out demons. You know, in some some instances, he took a little bit of food and he made it a lot of food to feed thousands of people. And we look at those and we go, that sounds like mythology or, or that sounds like maybe that was a cool kind of thing. But, but what does that mean? But Jesus did these things to prove that he had authority. That what he was saying was based on who he was as God in the flesh. So Jesus the king was bringing a spiritual history changing kingdom that at that moment was breaking through into a very broken world. So then you might ask, well, if Jesus was doing these things, they sound good. Why would these lead to his death? If you've read the account of the life of Jesus in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you would find that it was because Jesus' kingship was a threat. It was a threat to religious folks that had said, hey, we have, uh, we have figured out a way to make ourselves righteous. If we just follow these rules and we have these ways that we do that, we can make ourselves good. And so when Jesus comes in and says, no, no, the only way to make yourself good is to believe in me. That was a threat to religious folks. To to non-religious leaders that were actually in authority, like kings, mayors, and all the people in Jesus' time, they were hearing this language of kingship and they were saying, wait a second. We've worked really hard to become who we are and where we are. We have the power. We have the authority. Who is this guy to say there is somebody greater than us? And so Jesus was a threat to non-religious folks as much as he was to religious folks. And then even to people that, man, they they could care less about politics and they they could care less about religion. Jesus was a threat to them too because he pointed out their need to what? To repent, to see differently, to think differently, to understand that their life, the way that they were living it, was far from God's intention. They were missing the mark. It's another word for sin. So eventually, the ultimate demonstration of a different kind of kingdom, this long-awaited king, King Jesus, Results, his ministry results in his death. Now, we would get upset, right, if we were there, rightly so. Our king, our leader, our, our Messiah has now been put to death. And in our natural world, we might think, well, it's time to start a revolution. Let's overthrow those people that had him killed. But here's the thing. If you read the story, Jesus all the miracles he did, all the authority and power he did, he could have prevented his own death. No doubt about it. And so when we think of the death of Jesus, we have to understand that he willingly laid down his life. You you don't find this in any any other religion. You you can look at, at different Christian sects like Mormonism, where Joseph Smith was killed not on his own understanding. Or Islam, where Muhammad was killed not because he wanted to. Jesus willingly laid down his life. And and even in that last moment since he was on the cross, the imagery of his crucifixion was still that of a king, a crown of thorns, a royal Robe. And even to the dismay of his enemies, a placard affixed to the top of the cross that said, Jesus, King of the Jews. And so as we consider the real events of Easter, the story starts with death. With Jesus' death. In the last year, sickness and death have been the thread connecting our world Together. Early on in the pandemic, I heard the story of a local high school boy here in Renton who lost both parents to COVID. Both parents. Then some months later, a friend of mine lost his wife to COVID. And she died alone in a hospital room while her family tried to speak their last words to her through a video screen. Some of you who have been a part of our church for a number of years knew her. Marilyn Appleby and her husband James was a previous pastor of our church. So there's been a theme throughout our world. But death isn't just pandemic related, right? Just this last week, a member of our church and a friend of mine, Chad, lost his mother. And two days later, my brother-in-law lost his mother. So death is a part of the world that we live in, whether there's a pandemic happening or not. And the reality is, is whether it's COVID or a tragic accident or just the end of a long life, each one of us will face death. Now, when you're young, you think you're invincible. You don't think about such things. And as we live our lives, we may try really hard to cheat death. But we realize that no amount of science or working out or dieting or medical intervention, nothing we can do is going to stop death from coming for us. Have you ever asked why? Why? Why do we die? If somehow even through a global pandemic you've been able to avoid that question, you will someday ask it. And another question you might ask then is, what happens next? The reason we ask this question is because we feel deep within us a consciousness. You could call it spiritual if you're, if you're a Christian. You could call it just, just a, a state of being if you're not. But we each know that there is something about us that wonders what's next that pushes us to to ask the question, is there life beyond this? Is death really the final word of my existence? And the answer to that question is what we remember and we celebrate on Easter. Today, we remember that Jesus' death was a setup for his final and most miraculous sign, the sign of his coming kingdom. Is his resurrection. When Jesus rose again, it was the ultimate demonstration to all of creation, all people of all times, that he was who he said he was, that Jesus himself had power over death. And you see, when Jesus called those who heard his message to repent, he was also offering them a good news promise of forgiveness and freedom from their sin. And so in Jesus, we find the answer to our question about death. And we also see how that answer is intertwined with the remedy for our own sin right this moment. The brokenness, the addictions, the abuse, all of those things that plague us in our humanity. Jesus offers us a hope and a promise. Hope for our life today and a promise for our death tomorrow. And the promise is that through faith in Jesus, freedom from sin now in this life is possible. That he would break its power, its stranglehold on us that leads to death. And because of his resurrection, he then gives us hope of a way through death. First Peter says, he himself, what? Bore our sins. He took them on himself. In his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. How do you get righteous? By saying enough prayers, by becoming nothing in your mind. No, you become righteous because of what Jesus has done for you. And this is why Jesus died, so that we can live today with hope and a promise. Man, how many of us want that? And how many of us have been yearning for that through the pandemic? But what have we placed our hope in? And our promise in the end of a pandemic, which is only temporary. But Jesus offers us a hope and a promise that supersedes vaccinations and a, pandem- and a global pandemic. It affects every aspect of our life. And so Jesus, this is why he says to all who would hear it, I am the way, the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me. Now, in our postmodern world where absolute truth is not absolute, Jesus' statement might sound offensive for some, and some even would say, No, I think Jesus is good, he's, he's one of the ways to God. But Jesus says, No, I am the way to God. And so, in our world, we'll hold time out, the way. No, no, no. Your truth may not be my truth. What about about all roads lead to God? Like if I have another faith, I'm cool with Jesus, but if I have another faith, that'll get me to God too. And this idea that God is somehow on this mountain and that all roads, all truths will somehow eventually get to them is not what we see in the resurrection story. What we see in the resurrection story is that God didn't stay on the mountain saying, keep working hard enough and eventually you'll get to me. God came down to us. And then he didn't say when he got down to us, he says, okay, now that I'm here, do this, 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 and this. No, he just said, do you see me? Repent. Have a a change of mind. Follow me. Believe me. And I will take care of your righteousness. I will take care of your sin. So for the people who are unable to break the sin power in their lives, those of us that are aware of our own mortality, this is very good news. Very good news. Because you see, no matter what you try in your life, whether it's a vaccine, a a diligent workout, and I tried that post-pandemic, it didn't work very well. At best, all you can hope to do is prolong The inevitable. But in Jesus, we find a hope for this life rooted in a promise that will be fulfilled on the other side of death. As the Bible says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus came down. And this is what we remember every Easter. I'm going to end with just one of my favorite stories from the Easter narrative. I'll set it up with this question. Have you ever wondered what it would have been like to be a follower of Jesus on that first Easter? Like When when Jesus died, you're like, oh my, what? It's all over? Like he was doing all those miracles, but, but now this? But then on Easter morning, and Cindy read this just a few minutes ago, these women went to the tomb and they said, wait a second, he's not here. He has risen. And they come back and the, the description in Luke 24 that Cindy read, people are like, this is nonsense. Except for Peter who's like, I got to go check this out. Go ahead and open your Bibles this morning. If you never open your Bibles except for Christmas and Easter, I, I want to give you that opportunity uh, page 909, or we're just going to read a brief story. I want, to, I want you to put yourself in this moment. There's two people walking down a road, and they've already heard that Jesus is, has risen, and, but they're heading home. They're not sure about this. I, I want you to be one of these people, okay? Chapter 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they were heading home. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. He said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. He's talking about himself. I love that. (laughs) They still don't see him. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, seven miles. Then they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I love this story. So these two people, Cleopas and the other one's not mentioned, could be his wife, could be his friend. All their hopes of Jesus being the Messiah, their Savior, seem to have ended on the cross. Their idea of a Messiah as a king had been dashed. And so after following Jesus, well, now they're just heading home. Can you relate to that? Sometimes our idea of how God should do things doesn't match up with what's going on around us. And so we just start walking. We just move away from him. That's the story of so many folks that have grown up in the church. Yeah, we've heard about it, but I don't know. I'm just going to keep going. But here's the thing. These people aren't walking because they haven't heard about the resurrection. <laughs> they had. They'd actually just been told that the tomb was empty that morning, but they still doubted that Jesus really was alive. There was some reason to have hope, but that just didn't fit within their paradigm, that Jesus would raise, be raised from the dead, that he would make it through death. And so it didn't matter. Their friends had told them this. They still didn't believe it. Maybe it's because they thought of Jesus only as a prophet. Maybe possibly a king. But being able to overcome death, impossible. But here's the thing. Jesus was actually talking with them. (laughs) And even having a Bible study with them. It says he was explaining what was about to happen through the prophets. He was saying, do you see now in what was prophesied that I would rise again three days later. And they're like, hmm, interesting. Have you ever had that happen? Where you run into somebody, but you, you see them in a context, they're not, you, you're not used to seeing them in, and you're like, who is that person? Why do, I, why do they look familiar? That's how I'm going to feel when all of your masks come off in a few months. <laughs> Jesus was face to face with them, and they didn't... See him because they didn't believe that he could actually be raised from the dead. And when they finally did recognize Jesus, when did they recognize him? Not when he was unpacking scripture, not when he even said, You guys are foolish. When he broke bread, when they shared a meal together. Jesus. This happens again right after this passage, if you keep reading. Jesus then goes back to those disciples, and he appears with them. The first thing they do is they offer him some barbecued fish. Jesus eats with them. John 21 records a similar account where Jesus literally is barbecuing fish up on the shoreline. And people go, oh, the resurrected Jesus so all this to say, my point of my message is barbecuing and the resurrection go well together. No, that's not it. A... Here's the thing. The story of Easter is about the hope and the promise that Jesus' resurrection life offers us. None of us today need to be convinced that we are imperfect, sinful people. What we need to be convinced of is that God sent Jesus because he loves us and wants us to be free. And the promise is that for everyone who believes in Jesus, they get that forgiveness and freedom. Do you believe that? Christian people, do you believe that you get the forgiveness and freedom of Jesus without having to earn it? non-Christian people? Do you understand that you have your own works that you're trying to work out to make yourself free and to make yourself comfortable and that those things won't work either? Not a bank account, not a good diet. Only Jesus can offer you freedom and forgiveness. So none of us today need to be convinced that we need that. We need to be convinced that Jesus is the way for them. And none of us need to be convinced either that one day we're going to die. Some of us may think about it more than others, but we all know it's true. What we need to be convinced of is that God, who created us in his image, actually offers us a way through death. That we can continue to live a new life. And this is the promise and hope that Jesus offers. And I'll end with this last passage from Romans chapter 6. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we will certainly also be united with Him in a resurrection like His. That's the promise. For we know that our old self was crucified with Him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And that is a promise for today and tomorrow. So what would it take for you today to believe Jesus? This is not a rhetorical question. What would it take for you today to believe Jesus? Like everything he said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but through him. That his righteousness has been given to you in place of your sin. What would it take for you to believe Jesus today? We lost a family member this last year, just before COVID. Lived a long life, over 90 years. I was talking to him in his hospital room and he didn't believe in God, didn't believe in Jesus. And he said, you know what? I might believe if God appeared to me right now, face to face. I said, wow, that would be something. But you might not believe, even if he did that. We see in the story we just read, literally face to face, and he couldn't see him. Didn't expect it. You might, the next morning, think, man, that was, I just had some bad food. That was a weird dream. What would it take for you to believe Jesus? I I know there's nothing that I can say this morning that's going to cause anyone to believe. Because what you need is a burning in your heart. You need an encounter with Jesus yourself. As the two people walked along the road, not knowing what life would be like in the days ahead, Jesus met with them. He sat with them. He broke bread with them. And in one life-changing moment, the doubts, the sorrows, and the fears of their future were replaced with joy, hope, and promise. And this is exactly what the resurrection does for us today. Jesus is alive. His words are true, and he invites us to receive the promise of his living hope. And the invitation is right now for you. And so I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to ask you as we sing our last song, if you would like to receive Jesus, if you'd like to know him, get his righteousness for your sin. I want to pray with you during this last song. So I ask you to boldly come up so that I could do that. I'm going to pray first and we're going to begin to sing again. Father, we... Uh, we need to know you. We we need to have, uh, as those two people on the road were reflecting in the interaction they had with you, they said, wasn't there something that burned within us? Something that was stirring. And Lord, I pray you would do that this morning, that you would stir within our hearts so that when we do see you, we're ready. We're ready to say, Jesus, yes, I believe and I receive. I believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, that we would walk in repentance, this new way of thinking. And so I pray this morning for each person here, and especially for those who have not received you and not believed you, that you would stir up in their hearts right now. Maybe their hearts are beating, even as they've been hearing the message this morning. Maybe they were beating through the poem, or through the scripture reading, or through the songs. There was this stirring within them. Lord, I pray today would be the day to respond to that stirring. And if that's you, I want to pray with you that you might know the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. And as we sing this last song, thank you for the reminder of your love for us, of your resurrection power that we get to walk in today, the hope and the promise. Thank you, thank you, thank you.